This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, guys, welcome back to another week of the podcast, The Outdoor Drive. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardik. What up? What up, buddy? This is episode 229. I'm excited. Uh, we I, That postseason scouting stuff, dude, it's, it's, it's something good. Dude, my favorite thing. I, I honestly... It, it rivals actually being in a tree for me. I just love dissecting and putting in the work and and just exploring. I think the whole for, full circle aspect of it is kind of for me. Like, you know, like getting out there and shed hunting and stuff, but like getting out there and understanding like what is going on postseason, like all those things that you missed throughout the season and walking around and following deer trails and all that. Like it's... It's a blast. Every second that I have, I'm now in the woods trying to figure out postseason and what's going on more than, you know, it was always used to be finding antlers, but now not so much, dude. I'll tell you this. It's definitely more important to find out where the deer are now so that you can kill them later because, like, I just had the best venison burger I've ever had in my entire life, and if I run out of venison, I'm going to be super, super upset, just so you know, because... That was the best venison burger I ever had. Tchaikovsky's did a phenomenal job, and it's phenomenal burger. So Phenomenal. It doesn't is. get any better than that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Just for the Poor greater God. good. The, the burger's but for the, the greater good. <laughs> to touch on what you were, were getting at before, to me, the thing is, is th- there's no greater feeling in the world than when you release an arrow on that target buck. It's true. But, but. Unless you know what, that you're going to miss it. <laughs> What makes that 15 seconds of he's standing there, you're at full draw, and you release that arrow and just stuff one behind his shoulder blade? Mm -hmm. What makes that so special is the hundreds of miles of boots on the ground, the postseason scouting, you know, running the trail cameras, the the countless hours e-scouting, dropping pins, like all that shit adds up. All that hard work and dedication leads up to that 15 seconds. That's it, what makes it special. No, I, I totally agree with you, man. And now, you know, it's it's funny is after – so the, obviously a lot of you guys know that are following the story. Like I I found a new piece of public land and missed a giant buck, blah, 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 blah. But for me now is like dissecting that whole entire piece of property because I've never stepped foot in a lot of it. Like I went in there October, found sign, and hunted it, right, and was right. successful. But now to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and like seeing like – 
going in there postseason and like watching the tracks and following deer trails and figuring out where bedding and all this stuff is like on foot like it's kind of wild like i literally found the spot within the spot within the spot like it's just weird like it's super weird and it's cool to see it all and as it breaks it all down and now's the time i mean the snow tells it all like the snow tells it all sure and it's, it's all like, gone now it all melted today. i know it did but it's gonna Double get we're supposed to get there. another three inches on uh sunday so yeah it should be pretty um, good but yeah back to that spot you're talking about uh, you were hunting that with blinders like you went in found the sign started hunting and and didn't really get much more into that piece of property so now no. you get to get down and see what's over the next hill and 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 really dissect that area so it's pretty exciting no, it really is. And, and starting to see like where like that one area had a ton of scrapes and rubs. And as you start to kind of venture off from it, like there's really not much like the little bedding here, a little bit this like it was a perfect funnel with, you know, it, it's just it's a good spot. And I'm excited to kind of break it down even more. And after having this podcast with Ryan, it kind of put a lot more into perspective for me as far as like what to do and how to be successful in that spot. Because I mean, and as you pay attention, some of the questions I asked, no, <laughs> I, I was laughing at a couple because I was like, I know exactly why he's asking this question. Like that sounds familiar. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yep. So, Hey, let's, um, Let's sweep the floor a little bit, do a little bit of housekeeping, dude, and get this get the show on the road because nobody wants to hear us. They want to hear yeah, Ryan. That's what they're here for. So, uh, first and foremost, we are title sponsored by Huntworth, HuntworthGear.com. If you guys haven't been over to there, uh, there's a 25 to 50% off uh, right now across the whole entire board for Huntworth gear. Some of the best. Now is the time to get some of that Sakoon and all Sakoon and <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> all your heat boost stuff, guys. Now's the time to be late season hunting with that. And for coyotes and whatever else you want to get it, now's the time to do it, especially with the prices that they are um, right now. Latitude Outdoors, latitudeoutdoors.com for all of your mobile hunting needs. Some really cool products from them uh, at ATA that they released. I'm super excited to use that bow hanger and stuff. It's not on the website yet, but some some really good stuff, you know, and everything's in stock. Now's the time to get that stuff and mess around with it um, and kind of get yourself going, you know, tax return season, you know, start thinking about your new mobile setup. If You know, you know what I mean. Uh, Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Uh, you can get on over there, get your grunt tubes. Uh, it is postseason, but now's the time. What's better than getting your grunt tubes right now? And your turkey calls. How about that? Uh, the pot calls, box calls, crow calls, maybe not yet, but some owl calls to come. And, you know, your mouth calls. Now's the time to be driving around in your car, going from home to work or going to church or wherever you're headed off to and you know, just play around with a turkey call. Get yourself familiarized. Don't wait like everybody else on public land till the day before the season to play with their, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's practice now, guys. Let's practice now. And last but not least, Bowhunters United, bowhuntersunited.com. They, they are a free website to get on to and become a member of, and they are the advocate for us as bowhunters. So, Stevie Steve, do you have a killer's corner of any sort of kind or anything? I didn't see anything on there. No, I didn't the either. No. Shout out Josh Brower. I know he scooped the scooped the shed mm. yesterday. I don't think he posted it not on the page yet, but I'm gonna make sure he does. Yeah, pretty cool because he had like the the actual trail cam picture and stuff. Trail cam picture, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, and big shout out to Chris Page too. He was uh his uh, first day of main guide service. Pretty cool. I, oh, saw I didn't that. even see that. Yeah, so he he started oh, his his main guide license. So congratulations to you, buddy, and best of luck. Um, and uh, we had a good buddy of ours too, Jason Davidson, who just passed his captain's class. Huge man. Congratulations, probably. And Sean, um, I know he doesn't listen to the podcast because he's an idiot, but uh, Sean Russell, um. Mm. He he actually just passed his captain's class too, and he's doing some stuff down there. So, congratulations! Damn, I thought it was hard, but if he passed, it must not be that hard. Yeah, truth is, but anyways, <laughs> all right, let's get on over to Ryan, dude. Let's yeah. get this show on the road. Let's go. All right, guys, we are back on the phone with the Moose, Ryan Glitzky. What's up, man? How are you? Good, man. Real good. 
I appreciate you jumping on. I know all in this between all the times of other podcasts and postseason scout, and I don't know how you could find time to join us tonight, man. Oh, we're here, man. I love it. I love talking whitetails. I can't pass it up. <laughs> no, I couldn't imagine. I mean, look behind you. If you don't love whitetails, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. <laughs> well, I've gotten lucky a couple times. <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> hey, better be lucky than good, right? You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's turn this thing right into four-wheel drive. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do. Uh, Ryan Glitzky, um, from Southwest, uh, Pennsylvania. I've been hunting for 32 ish years, somewhere around there. Uh, I work, uh, at Westinghouse nuclear fuel, I'm a union job. So kind of pays the bills, uh, you know, pays for the, the addiction back here. So, uh, but, uh, it is whitetails 24, seven, 365 for me. Uh, the good Lord and my family come first. Um, uh, third place is whitetails. It's a good place for him, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's enough of them back there. Well, we were talking off air. I just want to bring light back to it, honestly. You know, a post that you had had a week week or two ago about kind of, you know, the right reason of doing things. Um, and I just wanted to shed some light on that because I think that it's kind of important. And we were talking about it off air, but I think it's something to bring to everybody and, and how important it actually is because we all get so ate up in everything that we do and everything. And now you know, and, and what it takes to actually do it and, and the stress that comes behind it. Yeah. There, there's a, it, the amount of stress, like everybody, I, like I've talked to a few people here the last few months and that everybody's like, how do you get into the circle and how do you do this? And I tell them, I said, once you're in it, it's not what it's a crack or cracked up to be. No. You meet some phenomenal people. Absolutely. That is the, the, the best thing about it is talking to gentlemen like you and other people in the business it's great, but you put you start to put too much pressure on yourself to to kill a damn whitetail. Mm-hmm. Um, I love chasing whitetails, but end of the day, the world does not end if you don't kill a good buck. And I've got myself caught up too with the social media and all this stuff over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I'm part of whitetail addiction alone with custom gear. So you got that pressure there on being sponsorship, stuff like that. You don't always podcast and you start thinking you have to kill something to be somebody, you know, and all that stress starts to come on you. And, uh, this year, you know, I made that post there. I think I come back from Iowa and I had a bad hunt in Iowa. We've all had it. It's part of it. Um, but before I went to Iowa, um, I was already re- writing a checkout to my taxidermist. That's, you know, that was my mindset. And then I get out there and reality hits. Um, it ended up not being what I thought. Didn't have a good hunt. I made a lot of mistakes myself, got sloppy because you're, like I said, you're trying to impress people i guess you could say for the gram or social whatever social media platform and when i got out there i was forced in the hunt like i was almost wanting the hunt to be over before it even started because of the stress you know what i mean and i said a couple days in i just quit having fun and when i come back from that hunt and i was unsuccessful had a bad trip i come back here to pa and i had a couple doe tags in my pocket man and it was rifle season and i said f this you know, I grabbed that rifle, I went to the mountains, and I got back to freaking hunting, got back to tr- the tradition tradition of hunting, you know what I mean? Uh, I think we've lost that over the last, I mean, really since the 90s, probably, I guess. You know, whenever Realtree come out, Primos, Juries, all this stuff started coming out back in the early 90s, wherever it was, we all started putting numbers on deer, um, you know, and that's when they started going downhill, I feel. And lately anymore, um, it's all about how big of a deer. It's basically come mm-hmm. into a, this has become a big dick contest. It's really? all this freaking beat. Mm-hmm. And if we continue down this path with, with that mindset, plus the technology advancements are getting out of hand. Um, it's all about how easy can we do, how we can make this, you know, how much money can we put on the table for this lease or this property or this, you know, we're trying to buy whitetails now. Um, and then we're using the technology to make it easy. And man, we are losing it. Um, it's not going to be here for our kids. I don't think, um, if we continue down this path, I totally agree with you. I, I had that kind of come to moment myself a couple of years ago when, you know, I killed like a high one sixties in Ohio and I came home and I thought, you know, I had the season of my life and, you know, I'm, yeah. I filmed it the whole nine yards, you know, I had been doing a lot of filming and stuff, but finally, okay, now I hit the apex. I shot an absolute yeah. giant on camera, you know, you're like, okay, then you go into the next season 
and I got spanked left and right, right? Like, yeah. same thing. Bad decisions. You just thought that you were on top of the world, that you're going to now film another 170 getting killed. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And yeah. so yep. I did the same thing that you did when I came back home. You know, I came home the second week of November, and I, it's in the middle of the rut. And the first doe that walked by, I smoked it because I was like, yeah. I, I need to get back in that mindset that I'm hunting a hunt. Like, I'm – you know, from my roots, I've been a killer and it's just killing deer. Yeah. You know, I, it's not yeah, big deer. 100%. It's just, I'm a yeah. killer, man. I just love to that, kill. That's, that's how my mindset kind of went in what I've been changing and what's going to change for 2024 here is, you know, I, I've been blessed to kill some pretty good white tails in my life, but the last two years have been my, probably my toughest two years I've ever had other than when I was first starting hunting, trying to learn everything. And when you start to focus on the prize, Man, it all starts to fall apart. Mm -hmm. um, when I killed all these whitetails in a wall um, was when I just, like you said, I just went to go hunt. Mm -hmm. um, I love shooting doe. Um, every year I'll shoot four, five, six doe. Um, but I always shot one or two bucks every year. And not, I, yes, I'm holding out. But if I have a tough season, the way I look at this, I got a tough season in PA. Man, I'm holding out. I pass some good deer up. And it gets down the last four or five days. And a day, I'm a freaking killer. Mm, 110 inch eight point comes by. You know what? my tag, my hunt, and that makes me happy. And that's a successful season for me. Sometimes you just get your balls kicked in. And you know what? Sometimes you just, you know, everybody says you set these goals and you can't move off the, move off those goals. That's bullshit. We all have tough seasons. Sometimes you need to take a step back and come to reality. Like sometimes, like I said, we get caught up in all these freaking inches and numbers. You know, I'm from Southwest Pennsylvania. 120 inch deer is a hell of a deer. You know, I'm hearing guys on on these platforms, on these podcasts, almost downplaying 121 30 caliber bucks, and they haven't even killed one. Like, like that drives me nuts. But that's because of the mindset we're getting brainwashed mm -hmm. with with antler size. There's nothing wrong with killing a big buck, but when that's your sole purpose to go out in the timber, that's wrong. And that, that's the wrong mindset to have, and that's the wrong thing to pass on to future generations, in my opinion, and newer hunters. I, I totally agree. I agree with that. And that's where the kind of the TV aspect of it kind of took that turn, right? Where, like, yeah. we watch all these people, these big names that we grew up watching, Monster Bucks, and yep. they shoot giants. But we never went yep. out in the woods as us growing up, me, you – Steve, we never went out looking for that giant deer because we knew that it was unachievable. But now yep. that people are starting to see that, I think on those YouTubes, on on podcasts that, that they're killing, <laughs> you know, good deer. Now everybody is setting that one goal to go and shoot a giant deer. Yeah, it happens, but like I'm yep. not going to base my whole season on trying to kill a 200 inch in New England. It's not going to happen, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So why yep. why are yep. we trying to do that? I don't get it. I'm we yeah. would like like yourself i mean if you and, and this is one of the things i've said this for years if you're consistently killing 120s and 130s you're just as good as a hunter as someone in the midwest killing 160s all, and 170s all 100%. day yep i mean you, you look at some guys out there i mean if you're hunting the pressure like say somewhere like new jersey or something like that where what they can kill five bucks they can bait shoot rifles like you got a guy somewhere in there that's killing 110 is deer consistently every year I mean, that that's saying something. Like mm -hmm. I said, you're only as good as the area you hunt, end of right. the day. That's how this is. You cannot compare yourself to somebody's in the Midwest if you're in East Coast or Southeast or wherever you're at. You can't compare yourself. I mean, I, even being here in Pennsylvania, I got some buddies that hunt some primo property in Pennsylvania, kill 130, 40 inch deer every single year. They're on It doesn't take anything away from them. They're fantastic hunters, but right. I, that's just not my, realistic for me. I can kill 130, 40 incher, but let me tell you, I'm going to put some work in to try to get on a whitetail like that. And the other thing is, and guys don't realize this, like, so, all right, you had a bad hunt in Iowa. Now, if you're only hunting mm. that one state, like, say say you were only hunting PA and you had a bad season, then everyone's going to be like, oh, where's where's Moose? Where's he at? Like, he didn't kill a big deer. But then you yeah. kill, you know, and you could go two years trying to kill that 160 in PA, yeah. and then you finally kill that 160, now you're a hero. And it's like, well, yeah. bro, did you not remember? Like, he's out there doing it. He's hunting his own hunt. You know, like, what is it? I, yeah, I, this is a roller coaster. It, white tail hunting for the average guy. You know, the average guys like us that are hunting, you know, average properties or whatever, you know, public or private. Mm -hmm. This is a roller coaster. You're going to have the good years up here and you're going to have the years down here. 
That's part of whitetail. Now, you can be consistent on the high and low of that roller coaster, but you may have to adjust your, you know, that quality animal or, or the amount of deer. You know, maybe one year you just shoot five or six doe. You don't kill a buck that year. Right. Next year, hey, you kill that 140 and a couple of doe. Then the other year it's kind of slow. You kill 110. Yeah, that's how I look. To me, that's a killer. And yeah. that's my opinion. Um, it's not always trying to kill a Boone and Crockett every year. If you have the property, you have the area, man, 110% go after it. You do you. But I want to do me, you know, how I want to hunt. I'm going to do it the way I want to. You know, nobody's going to tell me any way other, other way about it. No, and, and I, I'm totally with you on that. Like, th- there's still that instinctual thing and in going back on, we're killers. Like, I'm going to kill mm. what makes me happy. And it, it yeah. maybe it's, you know, maybe it is a one 110-inch eight-pointer. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, that makes me a bad person. And the thing is, that goes along with that, guys kind of, you know, and my, I find myself doing the same thing sometimes where I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant on posting up that deer online oh, yeah. because yeah. you know yeah. there's that thought of you or you're like oh maybe i get a better angle you know what i'm saying like it's in oh, your yeah. mind yeah. you're like yeah because you don't want to get shunned on for some something stupid yeah. you know like yeah what yeah. do you think steve it, you're quiet over there on this conversation <laughs> man, to, yeah. I, I think where we went array is when we started getting away from age class and talking about inches because yeah. I could shoot a five-year-old in southeastern Connecticut. He might go 80 inches, right? That's so a hell of a deer. You could shoot a two-year-old in Kansas that might go 140. You know what I mean? Yeah. So once you start yeah. comparing inches across the country, they, they, they don't stack up. But age, a five-year-old's a five-year-old's a five-year-old's a five-year-old. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And once we started playing with inches, it, it kind of kind of got crazy, you know? Yeah, I, like I said, we were talking a little off air there. You see the pressure in the industry, you know, social media influences, whatever, whatever all that stuff is, you know, and it, it's sad to see. I see a lot of stress on a lot of good friends, you know, over this. Um, you know, when you're not, you stop enjoying the hunt. You know, why are we doing it then? Really? Why are we doing this? We can't enjoy the hunt. We're only chasing that prize, man. You're not enjoying it because um, we're only here for a short period of time. You know, I'm, you know, I'm 47, going to be 47 years old. You start to get a certain age, you realize, you know, halfway's probably in the rearview mirror now. So I'm trying to slow down, don't get caught up with all this stuff, and just go out and enjoy it anymore. Yeah. I The listeners have heard most of this story before, but I'll share it with you. Uh, this past season, I, I dedicated most of my season to hunting one particular mm-hmm. very special buck for my area. And it, it checked all the boxes for the Instagram. It was hanging, banging, <laughs> mobile hunting, all the cool yeah. shit. No bow yeah. on me, all that. And I had fun. I passed a ton of deer. I, I had my goal set. Um, it, it was rough. I made mistakes. I had more dumb shit I did this year than you, you could imagine. But uh, the highlight of my – I skipped opening day of rifle season with my dad to go bow hunt this deer instead. And then yeah. two days later into rifle season, I said, you know what, fuck this. Yeah. I called my dad and said, I'm coming yep. with you in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad's – a He's got a he's got a trigger finger that you know likes to play. So, uh, <laughs> I went with him in the morning. Uh, he had preset ladder stand on private land. Like it doesn't get any more boring than that, right? Like yeah, not public land, not hanging and banging, <laughs> not mobile. He didn't kayak in any of that cool shit, right? And I hung my saddle off the back of his ladder stand, and he shot a tiny little two year old. I filmed it over his shoulder, and probably one of the highlights of my hunting oh, career. Yeah, no one might I, shoot that deer. Yep, yep. And, I mean, I. Uh, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about because I had a terrible 2022. I didn't kill a buck in 22. This year, you know, it was the 25th of October. I had a decent three-year-old come up. As soon as I shot, I ground shrinkage. I knew it. And I even said in my video that I, I was like, but reality sets in. And I was happy that I killed him. You know what I mean? I was, I was still fired up. But then, like I said, I actually made a post about it. I called my dad and said, hey, can you bring deer card out? And I know there's going to be a day here sooner than later that I'm not going to be able to call my dad. He's not going to be at the end of the logging road with that deer cart anymore. That's what reality is starting to set in with a lot of this for me is seeing my dad's getting an age where he really can't do it anymore. He's not going to be there eventually. That's where like a situation like that, that time with your family, with your dad is (laughs) there's nothing. There's not a buck world record whitetail that should replace that. Right. It's funny that that's where 
Oh, go ahead, Steve. Your your post that most of this is referring to really hit home for me because I got caught up in it. The most important mm-hmm. thing to me was being on that on that ridge where that big buck mm-hmm. runs, and I had to be there every day. Yeah, waiting because any day could be the day, right? And and I yeah. had to, it took a lot for me to be like, I'm I'm not going to be there today. <laughs> I'm going to go with yeah. my dad on the road yeah. and sacrifice that morning. But oh, God damn, I'm glad I did it. You it, know? And oh yeah, it's it's. I did the same thing Steve did this year and not one of the things was I was filming and it's like November 5th or November 7th. We have, you know, a 10 degree break in temperature and I'm in the, I'm in the stand and I've seen seven bucks. I've already missed a, a one thirties. Like I'm having, you know, I'm like, I'm not getting out of this tree. It's eight thirty in the morning. My father texted me. He shot a buck and I texted him. I said, dad, it's, it's it's early, dude. I said, it, you know, it's November. It's the raw. I've seen this many deer. I'm sending in the footage and this, that, and the other thing. And I clicked on the GoPro to talk to the GoPro on just to kind of keep on the thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally, I hit the GoPro and I'm like, I'm like, screw this. I said, why am I doing this? November 7th yeah. in five years, my I'm going to pray that my father calls me to go hunting with him or yeah, go and I'm drag sure. a deer. Yep. Yeah. I got out of yeah. the stand at 9.30 in the morning on November 7th with a 10-degree break after seeing I don't even know how many bucks, and I went and I dragged the deer with my father. Like, it was it was that it was that kind of moment where I'm like, dude, why am I doing this? Like, what am I doing this for? Like, yeah. I, I, I'm going to miss my old man. And, you know, I don't hunt with my dad like I used to. I used to hunt with my dad every Saturday morning, you know? And then you get yeah. stuck up on that chasing those big deer and mobile hunting and trying to shoot those big deer for what like yeah every single video that you ever see of me shooting a deer my dad's the first one i call but my dad begs me to go hunting with him my dad begs me to drag deer out with him like what am i doing like why you know and that stuff that you know that stuff hits home man you 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 can't change that your dad's the one that brought you wrong they said nothing wrong chasing big deer absolutely nothing wrong chasing big deer but and then days, you know, when this is all over and you're done, you know, you hunted your last hunt. Um, I don't think it's going to be about the trophies on the wall. It's going to be about the memories getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's something like I said, reality starting to set in for me getting a little older. Uh, you know, my dad's getting older. Um, my kids are getting older, but they're starting to become, you know, young hunters themselves. Um, so it's uh, it's been really eye opening. And like I said, we get back to the social media, the influencer shit, YouTube and all that stuff like when I see the stress, like I said, on a lot of people, um, you know, it, it's really hard to watch anymore. I will say on a positive note, starting to hear more people speak out about some stuff. Mm. Um, I think people are starting to realize, you know, we're losing woodsmanship. You know, everybody listen to this right now. Can you walk out tomorrow in the woods? Okay. To go out and do scouting or hunting or whatever you're going to do. Can you light a fire without a lighter or a match? You know what I mean? Like right. something, so, like we've mm-hmm. lost. The woodsmanship. People think woodsmanship, you know, what is woodsmanship, you know, and just those little things there. Can you can you skin a quarter of deer in the middle of nowhere? Um, you, you know, all these little things. Do you know the difference between a red and a white oak? You know, you know, something like that I slack on. You know, I'm trying to become a better hunter, better woodsman with that stuff. You know, just those little things because we're so, you know, technology, it's a palm of our hand. And that's all we utilize anymore to make the hunt easier. And I think that's taken away from a lot of the stuff, too. Well, think about it like this. How many people of the newer generation that are hunting now, and, we, and we've talked about this a ton, that have ever hunted without a trail camera and actually yeah. could could, could yeah. find deer and track deer and do all that without, you know, I remember the days, and you, Ryan, you probably lived it, where we were using yeah. trail timers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And it went to the, then it went, you had to run to whatever you know, store to get the, the developed, you, you yeah, know, I yeah. remember you'd get what 30 pictures back mm-hmm. all freaking blank or, you know, a twig or something. Then you get like one deer picture, yep. you know, but you were so Just excited about that. Just yeah. Tail, and, uh, you know, now, you know, it comes right to your phone. I mean, like I said, I, you know, we can go down a rabbit hole here with cell cameras, um, cameras, everything else. I enjoy running cameras. Um, I've actually, I, it is on my mind. Um, I do like running standard SD cams. That is my preference on video mode. Um, but I'm at, and I run cell cams. I don't hunt over my cams. I like to use stuff for historical data, put those in areas I'm not going to get to. Um, 
but I'm actually thinking about not running cell cams, at least for a year. Take a step mm -hmm. back and, like I said, trying to get back to more of the woodsmanship size side of this. I mean, I spend a lot of times in the timber, you know, I, you know, I get the woodsman stuff, but sometimes I let technology kind of creep in too. You know, you know, I use mapping stuff on my phone. I use cameras. I bought a brand new bow last year. Hell, I got an e-bike, you know what I mean? But where's that, where's the cutoff, you know, and you're seeing a lot of things out there nowadays where, uh, it, it, it's crossing the line in my opinion a lot a lot of things right now yeah and what makes it actually fair and what makes it fair chase at that point right i mean like yeah even though they're wild like let's be honest like some of these big deer that these guys are killing like what is it actually fair chase because they're using their cell cameras like on instant like you know boone and crockett went through that where they weren't yeah. yet some of these deer weren't going to be accepted in that but going yeah. back on it they're losing the woodsmanship. Like, if you brought them into, you know, where you are in Pennsylvania in the mountains, like, could they survive? Like, no. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. 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 That's how you said. It's it's unfortunate that, that we're losing it because once we lose it, I don't think you're going to get it back. Um, that's why, like, myself, I, I you know, if, if you're going to talk it, you got to walk it. You know, and that's how I kind of look at this now. I, I, I enjoy these podcasts, YouTube. I like to educate people. Like I said, I'm, you know, we talked off air. I'm, we all learn every day, just like everybody else. We're, we're nobody's ever going to master this. Um, but if you have a little bit of knowledge, I like to share that. And I like to keep continuing passing on the woodsmanship side of this. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the biggest problem with the hunting industry is that it's an industry and there's mm -hmm. money to be made and this product to be yeah. sold. And every product that you can buy is a replacement for a skill set. So yeah, some, yeah, along yeah. the way, people think that if I buy a new bow, I'll be a better shot. Well, just shoot the one that you have. <laughs> Practice. Yeah. One time in yeah. the backyard all summer, buying a new bow doesn't make you a better archer. Buying more cameras doesn't make you a better scouter. Buying the latest and greatest tree stand doesn't make you a better mobile hunter. You got to develop the skill that goes yeah, with the equipment yeah. and people that all helps. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, yeah. like you become a good woodsman like me. Um, I don't buy cheap shit. I, right. I I'll, I'll buy, you know, I'm part of lone wolf, you know, right. I'm going to buy the best bow I can afford, but I have that base that, you know, I have the, the foundational woodsmanship that I use that just to make, you know, be honest with you, if I'm sitting in a tree and it's minus 20 degrees, I want the gear on that's going to keep me out there for 12 hours. That's how the technology part that I like to utilize it, not necessarily to make it easy to kill the whitetail, it, sometimes just to keep my ass in a tree a little mm -hmm. longer. Um, I'd be in that tree no matter what from freezing my nuts right. off, or I'm not quite freezing my nuts off his back. <laughs> you know, right. so. Yeah. Well, you can't you can't make chicken soup out of chicken shit. That's that's the yeah. reality of it, right? So yeah. like you you need that stuff to survive. But like like Steve said, the industry it's because it's an industry. If it wasn't an industry, then we wouldn't have these problems because yeah. there's there's no checks and balances on it. Yeah. So it's definitely tough. I let's learn something real quick because I want to learn <laughs> something. <laughs> Yeah, we're all negative Nancy here. We gotta <laughs> we knew we were opening up with it. Like, I mean, something needs to be discussed. And I, I think that's everybody's scared to. I'm not. And I think some other people we do need to we need to discuss it so that we do start going down the right path for the younger generations. So no, we do need to discuss. And and you know what? It starts at the at the snake at uh, the head of the snake, to be honest. So it's guys yes. like us that that are gonna do that and we have to we have to make it that it's important to us that our family and friends and hunting with our old man and and really the reality of it because people mm -hmm. don't discuss the things that they actually go through like they just you know everybody thinks that you know you know these guys shoot 180s but they don't understand the the bad things that they go through that they've hunted you know 60 days straight and haven't seen the yeah. deer the caliber like they you know, it's a perfect world that they live in. So we need to talk yeah. about these things because if they're yep, not talking yep. about, nobody's going to learn from it. They're just going to go and make the same exact mistakes that we did. Right. I mean, like yeah. that's yeah. reality of it, you know? Exactly. So my question to you, Ryan is like, what are you doing now to prep for the next season? Like, what are you, what are you doing today? Um, for me, I, I mean, every Saturday I am uh, in the woods. Um, last Saturday, unfortunately we got about a, foot plus of snow in mountains. So I 
Technically, the snow won't keep me out. But when it gets like that, to be honest, it's a pain in the ass to really read the sign good and to walk around. It kind of sucks. Um, so I don't miss too many Saturdays. But last Saturday, I took off. But pretty much every Saturday, I am in the woods. Um, I kind of tackle it two ways. Um, I will split my postseason up, um, just boots on the ground. You know, of course, I do the e-scout and stuff like that to kind of get a general location where I want to be. Um, but I like to break up my postseason scouting into brand new areas or an area maybe I just started to break down. Then the other half, I go to areas I've been into for multiple years and break that down even more on a micro level. Um, to me, when you start to get into that stage of an area, three, four, five years to a particular area, um, once you hone in there and you really start nitpicking micro level type, um, you're picking that kill tree. Those areas there, um, man, that's what I'm really trying to key on. It, this is a long-term process for me, uh, like my scouting. Um, and on that micro level for those areas, um, because that's when I get in there and I can really break it down to the kill tree. You know, I get five or six good solid areas like that and the rut rolls in. Those are kind of areas I kind of stick to. I don't bounce around a lot. Those are kind of areas I like to try to break down and uh, have those in my back pocket. When it gets good, I'm really confident going to those areas and killing. So what are you looking for? So like, so say in those micro areas, right? Like you have say like a flat, right, or um, some type of like really travel corridor, and you're are you looking for like the actual rut sign to be near, or are you looking for like what are you what are you trying to hone in on? Like when it all starts, like I said, it's on a more of a macro level. Um, that's when like your e-scout and stuff like that. I mean, I'll drop some pins in a general area. It could be off a clear cut or off some steep terrain or something like that. Just all depends. Um, I'll go into those areas and I'll work off them. Um, you do it long enough, becomes like a, a sixth sense. I guess you can mm -hmm. say you get an area, it feels really good. And you're kind of like, okay, why am I getting this vibe? I'll slow it down in those areas. And like, so I'm looking at this at a macro level. I start to look at the big picture. I'm like, why is like all these scrapes, all these rubs, all these beds, depending on the situation, I'm starting to figure out why this is all going on down there in this particular area. I'm breaking it down to macro level. Like when you're in the mountains of big woods, my opinion, you have to look in a bigger general area of all the ridges and points and crossings and all the clear cuts. How does all these pieces of puzzle that may cover a half a mile, three quarter mile area all come together where I'm at? Like, this is telling me something. These white tails want to come through this particular area for, like, a rut situation. So that's how I'm, I'm kind of getting that area, like, on a macro level on, a, on that bigger scheme, looking at everything. But now on a micro level, that's when I'm starting to break it down to, you know, I'm, I'm walking each trail out. I'm reading the the, the sign from past the past season and historical sign from seasons past. You know, the scrapes, the rubs. I'm, I'm looking for tracks, big tracks. You know, maybe there's a creek crossing here. How how much has that creek been utilized? You know, I'll start to break all that down. In a lot of areas, if it's a newer area like that, I won't always necessarily go in that area to hunt it the following year. That's maybe where I put a camera in that general location, like an SD cam on a video mode over a big scrape or a mock scrape, and let that soak for a season. I'll let that camera hunt for me for a season. Now, there is situations I go into, and I've been doing this long enough, and be like, I need to be in here next year. So I'll run some cameras in the summer. You know, there's some big velvet bucks in there. Okay, I need to come in here. Other, a lot of times, though, I'll just let a camera soak in there. When I pull that camera and I'll start breaking that down, say, you know, I'm a rut guy. So that last, you know, week or so, the 20th, 22nd, 23rd October, into through the whole way through Thanksgiving, I'm starting to look at the pictures. You know, I don't care if they're nighttime so much. I just want to see consistently a mature bucks work in that area. If I'm seeing multiple big mature bucks daylight, nighttime, all right, now I need to come back in there, and now I need to break this really down to micro level, start looking at that sign on a more detailed level to where now I'm I'm starting to tighten that noose down to one or two trees that are going to work in a particular area for me. Um, as a rut hunter, I'm always looking for, how I say it is, I'm always looking for a diversity of habitat and terrain. If you get both of those coming together in one area, to me, that's prime. Um, you got multiple things coming in one location, um, basically like multiple roads, coming to one central location that's that kill tree that's what i'm trying to do and may have multiple kill trees in a general location because say an area sets up good where i can hunt you know on the east side of it for a certain wind and on the west side so some of those situations uh, maybe get a hub or something like that where i can have two kill trees and my access might be totally different for each one but that gives me two awesome options in that particular area that's Right, and that's what I was trying to figure out. So then, and then with that, like when you go in there, like say now, right? Like right now, guys are going mm -hmm. in there in the snow and they're seeing a food sources 
and B, yeah. like old rubs, old scrapes, so on and so forth. Like, what are you using those for? Like those those trees that are have food under them now are are they going to have food on them when you're going to go in and hunt them? Like, are they using those ones? Let's say the red oaks, yeah. right? Because that's what they're eating right now. Yeah, I, I tell guys, food is very important, but. This is where I'm different from a lot of guys. I'm very open-minded. Eh? Like, I will hunt a whitetail the whole way on top of a ridge. I'll hunt them in the bottom of the creek bottom. I don't care. If they're telling me they're there, I'm going to go hunt them there. Um, when it comes to, comes to like, the food, I'm not going to say I don't pay attention to it, but in a rut situation, they're looking for dough. And, of course, the dough are feeding. But, man, when the rut starts kicking in, I'm more concerned with bedding. I, I've, that's my priority for me personally. Mm -hmm. Yes, the food is a piece of the puzzle. But typically, when I first go in to do my initial scouting, I'm looking for cover. I'm I'm from Pennsylvania, and the area of Pennsylvania I'm from gets the shit beat out of, it, especially in rifle season. So I'm more concerned for security cover because what I've seen is food is king. Absolutely, food is extremely important. They got to eat, and we all know the importance of that. But their will to survive when they're getting shot at and driven and everything in gun season. Man, they need security cover. And to me, that's what I'm looking for first is what's going to hold the mature buck? What's going to get him through multiple years to get some, you know, become a mature buck? Um, and deer in general, I'm always looking for. But me, I'm breaking that down. I'm looking for the doe bedding areas, looking for security cover, the steep terrain. The food is important, like I said. But once I find the security cover, then the second piece for me sometimes is the food, if that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. okay, where the those you know, maybe there's a private ag field three quarters of a mile off. Okay, I've got the bedding area, I got private ag. Even during them rut, them doe are probably gonna be going back and forth pretty, you know, uh, you kind of figure that out a little bit, you know. But, um, you know, said all that just kind of plays in a little bit, um, with the food and bedding. Like I said, I, I'm just not a big food guy, it's important early and late, but during right I, I tend to back off the food a little bit um like i said there are situations like i said a private ag field away maybe a big hot red oak or white oak or whatever um i hunt a lot of areas that have a lot of clear cuts um a lot of different age structure and clear cuts so that is to me some of the best food source there is browse wise on these clear cuts so a lot of times like me i'd rather hunt an area that has multiple clear cuts around it i don't really sit right on top of the food um, I'd rather hunt those multiple clear cuts, which I know the does are going to be embedded. Them does are going to be in their feeding. And then bucks know that, but they're going to cruise in between all those bedding areas, all those clear cuts. I kind of like to get in the middle of all that stuff. That's what I'm always kind of looking for. Because you're hunting them when the deer are going from the, when the bucks are going from bedding to bedding to bedding to bedding, and the does are yeah. going bedding to food. So, you, yeah, you're in the area where they're going bedding to food, where the does are, because that's where the bucks are going to be. But your big thing is you want to be in between bedding or tight to yeah. one bedding where yeah. they're going to yeah. be. Yeah, I, I, I believe security covering a pressure area is the number one thing. Um, I believe security cover trumps food. Um, in pressured areas that's just my opinion and what i've seen well because they have the will to survive right and if they're yes. they're gonna go and they're gonna go and hide in, in the thickest nastiest gnarliest stuff that nobody else is gonna go in because they don't know what's going on i mean it's like yep. us in fourth of july i mean there's just shooting yep. and everyone's pushing pressures on you so what are you gonna do hide yep. underneath your bed right i mean like that's just the way yep. it goes yeah yeah feel like i said food and like i said situational too like i said you give me a private ag field Half mile, three quarters mile away, and I can see that on a map, and I see multiple clear cuts, and you know there's point A, point B. I pretty much know what's going to go on in that situation mm -hmm. routinely with those does back and forth, and I know what them bucks are going to do. Um, that's just a killer setup in there. You have to find that pinch in between there, but that's bed to food. Now, once them does start to get some pressure on. They tend to, to me, they're not really going to go out to that ag as much or different times, I guess you could say, because they start to get a lot of pressure from the younger bucks, particularly. They're always harassing them. So they tend to hole up in some other areas once the rut really gets gets going and those start coming to heat. That that changes a lot of things, too. Because those the you're saying that the younger bucks are pushing them around a ton. And putting the yeah, stress look, on you'll them. see. I think that changed. That's why I said the food source is sometimes a primary food source. You know, it, them them young bucks and you know your two and three year olds really start really bumping them does and harassing them. Sometimes they're not going to primary food source as much. Um, maybe they're going to a secondary food source. You know, that's where you got to figure that part of the piece in too. So when you're scouting now, you're just you're looking to see where those deer were heavily in that area because now. 
like you said, you're you're putting say you're putting a camera in a spot to see what it's doing for year after year after year, right? And to mm-hmm. having that do the work. So the areas that you're mostly scouting are the ones that you hunted because you've made that plan to hunt in those kill trees. It might not worked or or it might have worked, but now you're looking for other areas around it because they're you know, because you didn't have the chance to be in those areas in that time. Well, what, like, what do you mean? Like, a, what, uh, I might mis, mis, uh, interpret your question here. Sorry about that. Like, I have my primary spots where I mm-hmm. have kill trees. And then I have these other spots that maybe are going to be future kill trees, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Like, I always, I'm always an index, a catalog of spots. Um, I have, like, when I go into the rut, this is how I look at it. Once it starts, I take off a month vacation. You know, it starts the rut that last, I may be still fairly mobile and bouncing around a little bit that last week of October a little bit. But once it hits and inbox are cruising and I know they're up on their feet, say it's a two week window, just throw it out there. 14 days. Um, I don't want to be in 14 different stands. I don't want to do it. I want three or four of my best, the best stands I want. These are the prime prime stands where I'm going to spend two, three, four days in this area. And if it's hot, and I'm getting away of entry and exit. I'm not blowing it up. I'll just sit there. I don't give a shit. It's 14 days. I'll kill them on day 14 or I'll kill them on day one. That's my mindset when it comes to the rut. That's where you got to be a little patient, in my opinion. You can move a little too much. But like I said, I like to just have a handful at the most of really prime spots in the prime time of the rut where I can bounce around a little bit. You know, it ain't happening here. Okay, I'm going to move over here. You know, that's where, you know, your camera and tell, of course, can help a little bit too. SD or sales um, that can help a little bit dictate where you want to be, too. Um, but that's how I play the game. Um, but I'm always looking for two, three, four years down the road because logging company comes in, pressure comes in, you lose your spot. You know, things change all the time in the timber. So I'm always looking at new spots, putting a camera in, doing some scouting, you know, part of my postseason in these new areas. So I always have backups. You know, always. And hey, you may pull a camera down there, say in the summer, because what I can do in a brand new area, I'll let that camera soak in the summer. I'm going to pull that lease in September, you know, and then I'll let it soak through the fall. If I got three, four big shooters on there, well, now I got to like, hmm, you know, you got to like, well, I don't think I want to not hunt here now. That's where you can put the stand on your back. You got to do your in season scouting and go in and hunt that way also. Right. And how are you? How are you judging on, like, if you're blowing out an area or whatever? So say you go into an area, like, are you just, like, if you go in the first day and you see 12 deer, and then the next day you go in and you see 8 deer, and then the next day you go in and see 3 deer, like, then is that how you're gauging if you're blowing deer out? Depending on depending on the area, if I get down in, like, some farm country, higher deer density area, um, I will see that. You can tell you're really putting a lot of pressure. Um, you know, your access, your access isn't clean. Uh, the wind and thermals, you're starting to cheat a little too much. And so you're starting to blow the area up. Um, what I noticed in the mountains, a lower deer density area, them bucks tend to, seems like they kind of, you're sitting in a tree and they're all doing these big loops. You know, it may take them a day, two, three days. So, Whatever comes by today may not come by three, four days. You, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that in those situations, even the does sometimes, a lower deer density area, the deer covering it in those areas seem to be covering a little more ground. Um, I don't think you get picked off quite as much for your ground scent and stuff like that. Like you're not getting busted every day like you would in like a high deer density area in a farm country. So I think I can hunt a spot a little bit more in a lower deer density area like the mountains or big woods than I can in the farm country. No, it makes absolute sense because it's the same for us, right? Being in the mountains, like you're not seeing those those same bucks every single day. Like, yeah, it's yeah. the same on the cameras. You're not seeing those bucks yeah. all the time, unless unless that's their core area that they're always yeah. in all so, the time. Yeah, it's very rare. Um, you'll hear guys talk like in the farm country, you know, that bucks consistently come to the scrape every night, every two nights. I don't see that very often. Every so often, you will get a buck. Um, that his core areas must be pretty small or something, or maybe he just knows that doe group's going to come in and I'll pick him up consistently, maybe three times in a week. That's consistent in the mountains for me. Usually it's like once a week or every two weeks, you'll see a buck. Now, of course, that's just what the camera's telling you. We all know mm-hmm. the camera misses a lot also. Um, but, um, I just don't see that consistency in the mountains. Like I said, I think that's where you need to kind of, you know, really pick a spot and, and kind of give it time to l- let the deer do their thing and come by to get a shot opportunity in the big woods mountains. So my question on the big woods, the kind of mature big woods deer, and one thing that I've seen a ton, and I want to see if you relate to this, is a lot of those big mature deer, you're not, they don't lay down a lot of sign. 
Like mm-hmm. it only nope. in their like super core, core, core area do they lay down that sign. But you're not, you know, like you would walk into an area and you'd see like, you know, a, a, a rub here, rub here, rub here, big community scrape. You put on the community mm-hmm. scrape and there's a giant mature deer on it. And then you, you're chasing yourself trying to find that sign. Like, where is this deer living? Where is he coming from? What's he doing? And you're not finding it unless you are in that minute little tiny area that he calls home scrapes are king in the big woods mountains scrapes is where you will consistently get your mature bucks on camera um what i've been doing is i don't see a lot of big rubs like you said you get around their bedding like especially that early october bedding you'll find a lot of big rubs in general around those locations um it seems like when the rut comes in they kind of bed wherever a lot of times it seems to be it's very inconsistent um, but what I key in on is I'm a rut hunter, so I'm hunting a funnel, basically. It was some sort of funnel, that's what I'm trying to do. What I key on anymore is I don't really find a lot of big rubs. Um, but I key in on is aggressive sign. That's either saplings the size of your thumb, your finger, that are just sheared off, okay? I don't want to see one. I want to see from this past year when I'm scouting, I see a couple in that general location coming through that funnel of some aggression. Or there's some scrapes that just... You know, the licking branch are just sheared off. You can tell something snapped them off. Or like I said, those saplings. What also I like to do is see is I see old ones from years past, that aggressive sign. When I see that aggressive sign, historically wise in a general location, I know mature bucks feel safe going through that area. That is really what I key in on in spots. And that's what you're looking for this time of year is that. For when it comes to that kind of sign, that will it doesn't always happen. Some of my best spots don't have shit for sign. Right. You know, a lot of times you got here's the hot sign, and this is where guys make a mistake. Here's the there are scrapes, there's rubs. They could be big rub size of your thighs. Everybody's hunting right there. Well, if you're off over here's where you're gonna kill them. And you got to remember that. That's what a lot of guys make mistakes. If you look at a pie plate, that's center of that pie plate, man. That's where it's all at right here, right here. A lot of guys are going right dead center in that pie plate. The access sucks, the wind sucks, the thermal sucks, everything sucks, but that's what a sign is. Man, if you come down here and hunt off numbers at 7 o'clock or over here at 4 o'clock, just on that edge, you know, you're not in the wheelhouse, but you're just on the edge of that wheelhouse, you know. That's where you're going to kill him. He's going to come through there cruising, you're going to get a 25-yard shot at him, you know. You know, maybe someday he's only he's 50 yards out, but then he's 20, 25. You know, you got to play that a little bit. You get right in the heart of that. Yeah, you can go in day one and kill him, absolutely. But to me, like I said, in the mountains, big woods, I've got to get that spot time to work out. So just come off the edge of it, um, of that hot sign. Plus, and we all know mature bucks don't like to do what everybody else does. Even all that hot sign there, if they skirt that edge like they like to do, you're in the wheelhouse. That's like like big, big trails that if you find big – you know, cow pasture trails, right? And and you're yeah. looking for those. Those big bucks aren't going to travel on those very rarely, right? I mean, like, yeah. you're going to try and kill yeah. them on the outskirts of it. They will. Like, like I tell guys, they walk down trails, yeah. But you know what they do is they'll walk down trail and they veer off it. And they might go back on it. And you got to play that away. Like, that's on the micro level breaking stuff down. When you get into a spot, you got to look where that edge is. Where's that transition that he's going to maybe hug for security cover? You know, where's the, like, I love tall guys. It's like bass fishing. You know, everybody talks about structure in bass fishing and fishing in general. When I get in a spot, I love when there's bushes and blowdowns and all that kind of shit. Because I'll stand back and visualize that spot of all these blowdowns. You can kind of figure out, you can utilize that stuff. They like that, the mature bucks. They like that cover, that sense of security in amongst that spot. But you can play that in where you can set your stand. You can J-hook into a spot and use that cover where you know he has to go around it. It doesn't look like a lot of guys are going to miss that. That's the little details when you're breaking down the micro level to set your kill tree to where that's where you set up a shot. That makes so much sense because they don't want they don't want to put themselves out there in in the straight daylight because they have to have that type of security where like it could be you do you have a lot of mountain laurels where where you hunt at or yeah, yeah. Yep. so you're hunting mountain yep. laurels too just like us and you're yep. looking for They're those gateways yep. you're looking for those. Those big, just the the big through ways to get through the mountain laurels. So they're not yep. they're not going to come out of it, or they're going to hug the edge of it. But they they want to they want to be they want to be just completely. They don't want to be fully exposed. They're not going to just come out in it, right? I mean, like they want to hide yes. in that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you see it. I mean, yeah, I've seen mature bucks do shit like like I said, 
always and never don't exist in whitetails. Those work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, they always do something. You like, well, what the hell do you do that for? Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, on the average, that's why it's so so important to to have that security cover, have that structure in an area. A lot of times, especially we're talking pressured whitetails. It's a little different if you don't have as much pressure on. It's a little different. Even some sections I hunt in the mountains and big woods during bow season. Um, I'm back in her way sometimes. You're back in her mile and a half, two miles. Typically, you don't run into any into anybody. Excuse me. And uh, I will see those bucks. It seems I'm not going to say they put their guard down, but they're they will go through um, not open mature timber so much. Uh, you know, you don't see them really do that. But there's still some you know green briars, still some structure there. But they are out in the open a little more off that cover at times. Mm-hmm. You know. Absolutely. You mentioned clear cuts a few times. I've had a little experience with one particular clear cut, but not much other than that. What when you're say you're you pinned a new clear cut on a new place mm-hmm. you haven't? What when you get their boots on the ground? What exactly are you looking for? How are you dissecting that? Like, are, are you diving into the clear cut? Or are you just skirting the edges looking for sign? And and what are you looking for for a clear cut that that you'll come back to and hunt or abandon it? Uh, there's a few things to look at. Um, I am not a timber guy, you know, like I said, I, I like, we're talking about the woodsmanship. I got to get better with some stuff with certain things. You know, when I look at a clear cut, how new is it? Is it brand new? They just put it in. Did they leave all the, the mature oaks still standing the seed? You know, how, what type right. of cut is that? You know what I mean? Um, so I'll go in there and if I see there's a ton of, I have one particular area they cut last year, man, they left a ton of oaks in there. The amount of acorns in there is unreal. So I'll keep track of that. You know, I know years to come, that's only going to get better and better and better. Now, if I go into a cut, it's a few years old, handful of years old, and it's get pretty thick to where they're starting not only feed it, they're bedding in it. That's going to be part of my game. I, you know, it, every cut's going to be a little different. If it's new, if it's old, if it's pulled timber, it all plays into it. Like it gets to a certain age for me personally. Once it gets up to that kind of pulled timber, what, eight inches, 10 inches, whatever, you can kind of see straight through it. I don't, I see them going through it. Um, I don't really see a lot of sign. I tend to gravitate away from that. Just me personally. Um, I know guys still hunt those areas. Um, it probably depends what's around that cut. You know, maybe there is some big Mount Laurel near there where it's still effective. Um, it just depends on the situation, but for what I'm looking at the cut itself, first off, it's the age. Is it new? Is it old? Is it prime? And then I just work off that, you know, I'll either go into the middle of the cut, you know, if I can, or I'll be on that transition, that edge where once that cut kind of gets to a certain point where they're feeding and bedding in it, you'll see a lot of sign along that transition. Um, that's where I'll work that transition, that edge, and start taking the sign where it need, wherever it's going to maybe find, the, you know, that kill tree is not necessarily at the clear cut sometimes. You know, I'm going to work off of that, find a potential location. And then here, maybe there's another cut that's, you know, 300 yards away. So now I got two clear cuts here. So the area I'm looking for is over here. Now there's another another cut or some maybe some thick green briars on a ridge. Maybe there's some mount laurel on the bottom of the creek. Those are all that's going to play in, in into my decision making as I'm working off a cut like that. What everything else in big pictures is, is lining up. If that makes sense to you guys. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I'm thing- not looking at a particular cut. You know, I'm not like concentrate mm. on that one thing. That's a piece of the puzzle. Now let's look at the big picture. Like if you ever take Google Earth and zoom out, that's how my mind works. Right. Okay, this looks good. But let's zoom out of here. Let's put this all together. So over here is where you're going to kill him amongst all this stuff. Like, where is he coming? Where is he going? Where does he want to yes. be? Where's you're going to get him at the intersection. Multiple bucks. Like, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not hunting one buck. I don't do that. I hunt multiple. I'm looking for an area that has multiple shooters. Well, if I put all those pieces together, all those clear cuts, all those bedding areas, I do put the puzzle together with the food. And it's all that one. There's an intersection there. And amongst all this stuff, there's four, five, six things coming together, terrain, habitat, all that diversity. That's what I'm trying to find. That's my goal. That is when my sixth sense goes, oh, this looks good. Um, Sometimes, yes, do I find a creek crossing. That's a singular thing. Maybe there's big, heavy creek crossing. There's some, there's a mountain lure, some clear cuts. It's a great creek crossing for some activity. Yes, that's a place I'll focus on just one thing. But I'd rather have multiple points of ridges, 
Uh, maybe I'm up high on them ridges where all those points are coming up out of a thick creek bottoms or something, or maybe it's a little lower and all the points are dumping down into a thick, nasty creek bottom or something like that, or there's a bunch of clear cuts up top. Then bucks are running in points back and forth. You get in between all that stuff. That, in my opinion, the Big Woods Mountain, what makes a fantastic uh, kill tree, a funnel, whatever you want to call it during the rut. And the, so, so in the goose world, we would call that the X. You are looking for the X, like where them yeah, deer are yeah. definitely going to come into. That yeah. is the spot, the kill tree. That's what, because yep. I think, you know, when you talk clear cuts, I didn't know if, and I think going on Steve, piggybacking on what Steve's saying is you're not looking for a clear cut that's, you know, say three years old and it has X, Y, and Z to be able to bring those deer to that. You're looking at it and seeing what the sign is on the outskirts, inside of it, around it, what it's, it doesn't Everything. matter the year growth of it. You're yep. just using Open it to mind. the advantage of what it yep. is. And that's just a yes. starting point for you. That's why, like I said, I'm a lot different, a lot of guys probably keep an open mind. Um, now a guy sees that clear cut coming off a point of Ridge. There's probably going to be better. Like a lot of times you'll see a lot of them clear cuts. They're on top of a Ridge system. There's a point coming off. Sometimes they won't cut that very end of that point. Sometimes you'll get a lot of green briars on in point. Sometimes great bedding area. You know, if a bed hunter, he's going to look in and hone in on that stuff. Me, I'm going to look at the big picture. It's like just different techniques, different types of hunting. Yeah. I'm really open-minded. Hey, maybe I do go in there early October and I do a bed hunt, you know, because I found a, a, a fantastic buck bed in there scouting. Like I said, I try to keep, keep an open mind for all that stuff in the way I hunt. Now, now being a rut hunter, right, The you know, the, the mid-20s, of November that you're normally hunting. Like what if you find a big buck that's, that's daylighting on a scrape in the the middle of, you know, you guys start what September, October. We start uh, typically first Saturday in October and we yeah. run till the, I think it's the last Friday before Thanksgiving. We run yeah. about the 19th, 17th, 8th, 9th, 20th of oh. November. Uh, we end up, we end up, we're done early, unfortunately for PA. I wish I just let the damn thing run, but it is what it is. Um, uh, but typically mid October or mid November, we're done bow hunting. Wow. And then, oh, you can't even, you can't bow hunt. You can't bow hunt after that time. No, what happens with us, it it goes out a Friday and then our bear season comes in. It's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I think it's a Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving happens. We have good, we have uh, black Friday and then Saturday is our rifle opener. So basically we lose. A little about a week, a little over a week, there's no bow hunting uh, for whitetails. So basically, there's a break here. Bear season comes in for us, and then Thanksgiving, and then our rifle season rolls in for about two weeks. Yeah, that's then crazy. That doesn't pick back up. Then we have a about a two-week, um, I guess you can say it's a, it's a we use flintlocks here, yeah. uh, muzzleloader for late season, and uh, archery comes in a day after Christmas on the 26th every year, less than on Sunday, and it runs for about two weeks. Um, that's our late season. So, uh, to be honest with you, PA is not it, – it, it, it's a good state to hunt, but it can be frustrating with the regulations. No Sunday hunting, of course. We get a couple mm-hmm. now. It can be frustrating for sure. That's the same for us here because it's – we we only have Sunday hunt. It's bow hunting on Sundays on private land. Yeah. You can't public land hunt, which is tough because if you're if you're on, that a- drives me nuts, man. You're gonna get me fired up again. <laughs> Why separate hunters? Like to me, I don't give a shit. You're on private or public. How the hell is that fair? <laughs> That's bullshit. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's frustrating because if you're targeting a certain deer on public land or or you know you have a real yeah. good say I got a really good Saturday morning sit Saturday afternoon sit I can't go back in on yeah. Sunday I literally just have to yeah. watch the cameras melt here. on Sunday. Yeah. It it happens <sighs> here too. Cold front comes in or something comes in. Rainy shitty day on Saturday. You know, high pressure system comes rolling in or something on a Sunday. It's like son of a bitch, and he can't hunt. I think we get we get one Sunday in archery, we get one in bear and one in rifle now. But it's a start. I think eventually we're gonna, eventually next handful of years, hopefully we can start Sunday hunting across the board. Hopefully, oh, I I just don't understand it. Why we can't? It's the old it's blue dumb. laws. I mean, it's it's, dumb. it's yeah. They're trying to push for it here, but I mean, it's it's just a tough battle, right? I mean, it's an uphill battle yeah. because you know we yeah. share those. They say we share the public lands with you know bird watchers and hikers and this that and the other thing, but like our yeah, conservation dollars, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our, <laughs> our conservation dollars. Funny, yeah. funny story. We uh, 
we do a ton of waterfowl hunting in late season, January, February. And uh, we had this dude from uh, Newport News in Rhode Island. He was filming us talking about how we were outside of a bird sanctuary or whatever. The bird sanctuary that he was standing on, my conservation dollars paid for it for him to be there. It was just a, it's like just ah, that's a yeah. whole other story for another day. But we all love, love the world we live in now. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, man! It's yeah, absolutely it crazy. Is. Ryan, I got one last question, man. Before we cut it loose, here is what right. drives you outdoors? Uh, what drives me? I mean, oof, I mean. I've had this passion since I started hunting when I was 14. Um, it's hard to put in words, to be honest with you. It, it, it is it is a very large piece of my life. Like I said, you know, you got to put God and you got to put your family first. Um, but it is it is a part of me. Uh, it always has been. Um, there is just something about, man, like I cannot wait till every Saturday this time of year to get in the woods and just put boots on the ground and scout and explore. Um, I love just being out in the middle. Like the, I like this sounds stupid. I, I love the Midwest. I enjoy hunting it. And I was in Iowa this year. I almost find it boring. I don't mean to piss anybody off. Um, but when you start hunting the mountains, the big woods and the vastness, and you are literally in the middle of nowhere sometimes, man, I live for that. Just to, like, I take my dog out now this time of year with me. I'll get back in the mountain somewhere, find a nice little spot, middle of the day to have lunch and just sit there with my dog, you know, for a half hour, 45 minutes, you know, make a fire or fire jet boil up if I'm being lazy and just sit there and enjoy it, man. I mean, that's living. I, I mean, to me, that's hunting and that's not even hunting season. Mm -hmm. You understand? It just, yeah. man, the whole, anymore, the process, um, the process leading up to it is, is my drive. Uh, I live for the process anymore. To me, that means more to me than the kill. Um, man, I just love putting the work in, putting the boots on the ground, figuring out, out this chess match with them. You know what? Good Lord blesses me to kill one. Great. But man, I love just trying to figure them out all year, put the cameras up, pull the cameras, look at the cards, all that, man. It just gets you fired up, you know? It gets me fired up. I want to go walk five miles right now in the middle of the night. Yeah, you're damn, right, like... <laughs> damn right, man. Damn right. People just don't understand it. It's just, it's a different type of love, man. It's it's Yeah, yeah. And if you want to become a better whitetail hunter, if you want it, I mean, I've said this on multiple, multiple podcasts. You want to be a better hunter, these are, this is a great, great foundation. Listen to podcasts and YouTube and stuff. Mm -hmm. You want to be better, you put the boots on the ground, and you put your ass in a tree because the whitetail is the number one teacher. Mm -hmm. The only way to learn. Amen. That's a good way to close it. Ryan, why don't, can you just tell everybody where they can find you on social media if you want to be found? Yep. Uh, you can get a hold of me or watch all of my BS that I do on a Saturday walking around pretty much. Uh, Moose1720 on Instagram. Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, I I, pro I think last time I checked, I have like 900 and some people <laughs> trying to friend risk. I don't go on there. I apologize. I'm not being a dick. Um, go on to go on to Instagram, Moose1720. I will talk to anybody and bullshit, bullshit to anybody about whitetails. Ryan, we really appreciate you jumping on with us. And for everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.